allowed not to let our kids' extracurricular activities mm -hmm. interfere with their childhood and just look at us. <laughs> our girls' very own lemonade stand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look! Customers! Oh, customers! Oh! Are, are you gonna record it? Yep, got it, got it, got it, got it. Tag along, Stin Mint Sam! Sophie and Kathy love lemonade. Yeah. Oh, two please. Sarah and Lily will be thrilled to know that Kathy and Sophie stopped by. <laughs> Kathy's at Taekwondo. Uh -huh. And Sophie's at the Odyssey of the Mind Decathlon, so. Oh, I love that. Oh, why don't you get a shot of the two of us sipping the lemonade and we can tweet it to them. That's a great idea. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, oh, let's make a sour face so they get a sense of the experience. <laughs> Say, tart. Tart. Great, got it. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time when I was making it, I was on the phone with Sarah, and she kept screaming, add more lemons, Mom. And I was saying, what? <laughs> <laughs> they love making lemonade so together. Do I see Girl Scout cookies? Yes, you do. We're doing Kathy's final push. She's two boxes away from the cookie sales patch. If Sarah weren't at field hockey, and if Lily weren't at orchestra, they would want one box of Dosey Dos and one box of Samoas. Two, please. Yeah. Dosey Dos. Oh, it's it's Todd, Vicky's dad. Oh. Uh, hold on. Samoas. Uh, hi, Todd. Yeah. Kick the can later. <gasps> of course, our girls are available. Hold, Jess. Oh, later. Sarah has Latin, and Lily's volunteering at hospice. But it's kick the can, quintessential childhood game. I know. But we could be available. We certainly are. Uh, hold on. Todd, you can count on our girls. Uh, yeah, we're going to stand in for them. We're in for that, too. Oh, and the Johnsons are going to be there. Oh, OK, great. See you then. Bye. Vicky's not even going to be there. She's doing computer programming. But Todd has rigged a webcam so that the girls could watch on live streaming in their breaks. That is so Genius. smart. That's huh? perfect. <laughs> well, we better go. We're going to kiss awkwardly at Avoca Park. Yeah, we're going to blog about it and then let Sarah read it later. Sarah's developmentally ready for her first kiss, but she doesn't have any time for it, so we're going to do it for her. Good for you two. Oh, Sarah's texting me. Oh. She says she has too much homework. She can't go to the mall tomorrow with her friends. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Brilliant. <laughs> Don't worry, honey. Daddy will drop me off, give me 20 bucks, and pretend not to know me. <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. <laughs> you loser. Save it for the park. Uh that is so seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that line for the I will, blog. I will, I will, I will. I'm okay, we really got to go. Okay, got it. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Yeah. See you later. Tag along, Stin Mint well, good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today. We're in this series titled, uh, It's Complicated. Why? Because when people are involved... It always is, and uh, if you've missed a week in this series, or maybe it's your first time here today, I just want to let you know you can go onto our website at renaissancechurch.org, and you can uh, click on messages, and there you'll, you can watch, you can listen, you can download, you can share, uh, not only this series, uh, but all the previous series uh, uh, that we have done. You can also download a, a discussion guide that you can use personally for you that's tied into every series or maybe with a group of people. So that resource is there and available uh, to you. Last week, we, we looked at this question and tried to get an answer to the question that, that we all have asked before. And actually, it was a question that Peter asked some 2,000 years ago to Jesus. And the question was this. How many times do I have to forgive someone? 
And we just want a number for this box, don't we? It's like, just give me the target. Give me the number. Once I know the number of times where I have to forgive someone, you know, that's just a great kind of boundary or guardrail that I could put into place. And so Peter went to Jesus and asked him that question. Hey, Jesus, give me a number. Whatever number you give me, Jesus, I'll be great with it. Just give me the number. And in a conversation between Peter and Jesus, and a story that Jesus uh, tells, we discovered the answer, and it's probably not the answer we would have hoped to get or even like, but it was Jesus' answer. You know the number of times? Infinity. Countless. We're, we need to extend forgiveness all the time to people. The heart of forgiveness is about canceling a debt. Where you say to someone, hey, I know you have hurt me, but it's canceled. And you see, what Jesus understands is this. That forgiveness isn't so much about what you're going to do uh, for that person by forgiving them. It's what happens within you. right? Because when you don't forgive, what happens? Bitterness and resentment. And anger and hatred starts to take root in your heart. And as soon as that happens, right, it fractures how, how you see all relationships around you. And Jesus says, hey, extend forgiveness to people. Cancel their debt. Why? So that bitterness and rage and anger, it won't take root in your heart. When you forgive, right, it'll break that power of bitterness. But then Jesus goes on to say, hey, I get that this is going to be difficult to do. And for you to get the, the strength to forgive people, you got to stay focused on God and realize how much God has forgiven us. Have you thought about that this week? How much God continues to forgive you because when we look up and realize the amount that God has forgiven us, it makes it easier, not easy, but easier to forgive other people. So once we get the answer to this question, is there another question that comes to your mind? You see, this is the question I, I, I then started to ask. Well, does forgiveness mean that I have to Fill in the blank. Okay, okay, fine. I've forgiven someone, but does that mean I still have to eat lunch with them? Does that mean I have to like them? Does that mean I still have to be friends with them? Does that mean I still have to answer their phone call or return their text messages? Does that mean I have to show up for Thanksgiving dinner with them? Does that mean... I still have to be in relationship with that person. Fine, I will forgive them. I'll cancel their debt. But I don't think I like them anymore. So today, we're going to try to discover the answer to that question. The best way we can. All of our houses or condos or apartments, wherever you live, is filled with products, right? And I don't know if you've ever taken time to grab one of the products in your house and just to read the warning label. I know you might think that I'm really bored, so I read warning labels, but have you ever done that before? Like, 
Sometimes there's really helpful information on warning labels. Sometimes you read a warning label and you're like, did they really put that warning label on that product? Sometimes, and then you realize that there's a reason why they wrote that very specific warning for that very specific product because probably someone at some point had sued the company for that issue. For example, McDonald's now uh, lets you know in their coffee cups that the contents may be hot. I'm like, well, that, it's coffee. Coffee should be hot. And so I started thinking through all these warning labels, and uh, uh, like there was this warning label on iron, do not direct steam at people or animals, or <laughs> iron clothes while they're being worn. Now the first part, I kind of sat there and scratched my head. I'm like, who would ever take an iron and just start like steaming their dog, right? That just would be, like, who does that? But you know, for me, and this is just real transparent, I read that second part, or iron clothes while they're being worn. I tried that in college. Come on, fellas, you know you've at least thought about it. Like, I got all dressed. I looked in the mirror. My, my, my shirt was a little wrinkly. And I'm like, I don't want to take all my clothes back off. And I was like, well, I wonder if I could just hold my shirt out and iron on. Like, I tried. I'm like, yeah, that's a good warning. This warning label was found on uh, a hair, hair dryer. Do not use while sleeping. T translated, someone actually did that. And I started thinking through that going, how in the world could someone actually do that? And uh, last night I was sharing about me just, you know, this is one of those warning labels I'm sure someone has done, but I couldn't imagine the context in which that would happen. And someone after service came up to me and goes, yeah, I got the story for you. And she, she told me the story. I'm like, oh, I wish I could share that, but I won't. <laughs> it's happened before. This warning label was found on a pair of uh, a, a child's Superman pajamas. Wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. I'm not sure if that's for the child or for the parents, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, if you, uh, if you uh, have ever used this tool, it's called a Dremel, and it's an awesome tool. It's one of these little rotary electric tools that have all these different attachments, and you, you use it in all those like applications where you need that one tool, and the Dremel can do it. So on the Dremel, there's this warning label. This project is not intended for use as a dental drill in human or veterinarian medical applications. Again, I'm glad that all pets are now safe from you using a Dremel on them. But I thought to myself, like, they had to put that on there? Could you imagine you're sitting in the dental chair and the dentist pulls out a Dremel? Like, that would just be a scene from a horror movie. Now, this last one uh, was literally a label found on a prescription bottle, right? We've all had prescription medication. There's, there's warning labels all over them. But what makes this one so hilarious, uh, it was a prescription for a dog, okay? A dog named Park. I saw the bottle. It said Park, and in parentheses, says dog on it. This was the warning label. May cause drowsiness. Alcohol may intensify the effect. Use care when operating a car or dangerous machinery, I'm like, I'm glad you put that on there for a dog, you know, because, you know, you never know what you're going to be giving your dog to drink at night. But there's all these warning labels, right, all over the place. And my mind went to this place. What, what if human beings, all of us, had warning labels on us? Wouldn't that be helpful? Like, before you start a relationship, just to know what you're getting into? I know, it's kind of scary, kind of sick. It would be helpful. 
Like if we just like, hi, my name is Chris, and you just could read on my arm, hey, this is what you're getting. So I started thinking like, what would those warning labels look like if they were on human beings? And I came up with a few, like this one. Creative skills will overshadow any semblance of organizational skills. <laughs> that, that might be from my, my life. Uh, my wife is very creative. I'm on the organizational side. And uh, I tell you, knowing this early on in our marriage would be helpful because, again, my wife is so creative, but she can't find anything. And so early on, she would lose her cell phone all the time, daily, hourly. And I'd get so upset. And I would say through my organiza organizational lens, I would say, hey, honey, everything should have a place, right? That's logical. Put your phone in the same place every time. And I was like, why can't you get this? And all of a sudden, I realized, guess what? She's just not organizational. She's creative. And so now, when she loses her phone daily, I don't get upset. I just sit there quiet. Eh. And she knows what I'm thinking. Everything has a place. <laughs> if you put it in a place, you would know where it is. Right? It's a helpful label. Here's another one. Everything you share in confidence will not be kept in confidence. <laughs> you all know someone like this, right? Right? You, sh you have that conversation with that person. It's real personal. It's real intimate, right? And you just think it's going to stay there. And the next day, it's out everywhere. And you're like, okay, this label would have helped you to know that. Here's another possible label. Continual affirmation is needed to function normally. <laughs> you have that person who'd call you, and they, they all, always will say, hey, is everything okay? Yeah, things are fine. Well, well I haven't talked with you lately. Are you sure everything's okay? Yeah, things are great. And you just realize that in that relationship, as long as you're like encouraged and you talk to them all the time and you give them affirmation, then the relationship is fine. What about this warning label? Yes, I'm smiling. Yes, I'm passive aggressive. <laughs> I had a boss like this. And uh, uh, early on, I'd sit in a meeting with them and It'd be leadership initiatives, budget questions, you know, a litany of, of questions I had that I needed his advice on or maybe decisions on. And he would sit there across his desk and he would smile and nod his head as I'm talking with him. And I just thought smiling and nodding your head yes meant yes. So I'd walk out with a bunch of yeses and I'd go implement these decisions. And then all of a sudden I'd get a phone call, a text message, and he'd say, well, who okayed this? I'm like, do you remember that one-on-one -on -one we had and you smiled and nodded your head yes? Like, do you remember that? Oh, I didn't tell you yes. Oh, okay. So then I just learned that, guess what? I had to ask very specific questions and then sit there and make him articulate an answer. I just learned that. And we all have warning labels on us. Our personality type will lead into that how we were raised or upbringing, just life itself. But you see, the danger is this, is when the warning labels goes from just a warning label to a toxic label. Right? That question, right, the question of, okay, I've forgiven them, but does that mean I have to? It's usually dealing with someone like this. You see, the definition for toxic says this. Anything containing poisonous material capable of causing serious sickness or even death. 
So what do we do with the toxic people or that toxic person in our lives? What do we do? Okay, I've forgiven them, now what? Paul, in a letter he wrote to a church in the, in the city of Corinth, he, he wrote this very simple line to the people there. He says, do not be misled. And that's a critical uh, statement. He said, hey, you're on the journey of life. You're headed a direction. Be careful that you don't get off uh, onto the wrong path. Be careful that when you interact with other people that they don't lean into you and get you headed in a direction that you shouldn't be headed. Be careful. There's a caution sign that there's a lot of different people around you. And then what Paul does after he makes a statement, do not be misled, then Paul quotes kind of a famous Greek dramatist named Meander. And it's interesting because maybe you've heard uh, this Nick statement before, and maybe you're like, oh, yeah, that's somewhere in the Bible, or maybe you didn't even know it's from the Bible. Actually, it's in the Bible, but it's really not, quote, unquote, a Bible verse because Paul was quoting this Greek dramatist who lived hundreds of years before Paul. But Paul quotes him, and it says this, bad company corrupts good character. One small drop of a toxin in a body of water, whether that's a barrel, a glass, a larger body of water, one small drop of a toxin, guess what? It can make all the water bad. It's that old saying, right? One bad apple, just one bad apple can ruin all the apples. So what's a type of a toxic person? I came up with three, and there's many, many more, but I think these three will maybe give a, a, a picture of what a toxic person might look like. The first one is the chronically negative person. Now, if you have kids and you like Disney, I call it the Eeyore syndrome. You know that person? They're just always like this. How's life? It's okay. Could be better. Do you know a person like that? I mean, you see them calling you on your cell phone, and you just want to hit in because you just know. You just know it's going to be bad. You see them coming, and you find your entire spirit just going, oh, they're coming. Oh, and they're, I know their week's going to be horrible. I don't even want to ask them how their week is because I know the answer. They're always judging other people. Their glass is always half empty. Nothing's ever good enough. And they just suck the life out of you a toxic person. Another example of a toxic person is the controllers. That person that just dominates your entire world. I mean, you just, you know, nothing you do will ever be good enough. Nothing you ever accomplish will ever meet their standards. And they will let you know. They'll let you know by their words. They'll let you know by their looks. They'll let you know because they're passive aggressive and they just stand there. They will enforce their controlling behavior over your life. And you live in fear. You live in fear of them. It's a toxic person. Another type of a toxic person is the tempters. It's that person. That when you're around, you become someone you don't like. You find yourself doing things that you're like, wow, why am I even doing this? 
you find yourself consuming or saying or acting in ways, and you just know when you're around that person, it's toxic. So what do we do when we have a toxic person in our life? The first thing is set boundaries. You need to have personal boundaries in your relationships. It's critical. It's critical for you to stay healthy, but it's also critical for you with your other relationships for them to know what those boundaries are. You see, boundaries, first of all, are there to protect. Right? It's why we have doors on our house. Right? I live on a road. People are running by all the time, walking their dogs all the time, cars driving up and down the road. But it doesn't mean that just because you're going by my house that you're welcome in my house. It's why I have a door on my house and a lock on my door on my house. Why? It's a boundary. It says, hey, if I invite you into my house, great. But I might not invite you into my house. I might look out the window and realize, I just don't want you in my house. Guess what? I'm not going to open the door. might be rude, but it's a boundary, right? It's there for protection. Boundaries are also there for, for accountability and responsibility, right? You set boundaries, and guess what? If people come into those, uh, uh, into those boundaries, they have to play by your rules. That might sound uh, a little bit off-putting to you, but it's healthy. We, we, we've taught our girls that when we go to people's house, we kind of have the speech in the car on the way to someone's house. I don't know if you've ever done this before. And, uh, and so we'd, as we go to someone's house, we say, hey, girls, remember to treat their house better than you treat our house. And we have a pretty high standard. And we just say, hey, we're going into someone's house. You should exceed even what we have taught you on how to treat someone's house. Now, my kids are kids. They will do things that force me to say uh, that one statement, what, what were you thinking? And then I realize as a dad that kids sometimes don't think, right? They're kids. But it's a boundary. It's within these boundaries, there's responsibility and accountability. But boundaries also give freedom, great amounts of freedom. We have this long driveway and uh, uh, we kind of live on this busy road. It's called Woodland. It's here in Summit. And uh, uh, it, a lot of cars go up and down Woodland. And, uh, and so we've drawn a boundary on our, on our driveway. And we've basically said to our kids, hey, just make sure you don't go across that line. Because across that line, there's this barrier that keeps them safe from going into oncoming traffic. But if they stay on the other side of this line, guess what? They have the whole driveway. They have the whole backyard. They have the garage. They have a ton of space to play. Just don't cross that line. There's freedom when you draw boundaries. Jesus was a master at drawing boundaries. He was with hundreds and hundreds of people all the time, but guess what he would do? He would pull back from the masses, and he kind of developed a circle of close friends. There are 12 men called the disciples, and he would pull back to them, and that was a boundary. And there's times where you see him pull from the masses to the 12. And within the 12, there was three, Peter, James, and John. It was another inner boundary. Why those three? I don't know. But he chose those three. In other times, Jesus would leave them and he'd go up on the mountainside by himself. It was another boundary. He set boundaries with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers. 
And sometimes he would allow them to come close. Other times he would hold them at arm's length distance. There's times he would engage them in conversation. And other times he would shut them down. He set relational boundaries around them. One of the clearest moments where Jesus set boundaries was in this interaction. You see, in Matthew, um, Jesus had been kind of teaching and talking about what was to come. And there was a period of time when, as he was talking about what was to come, meaning his arrest and him being beaten and him being crucified, he was talking kind of in very kind of vague kind of uh, uh, words and stories. But as it got closer to the time for him to be arrested and beaten and crucified, he became, became very clear about what was to come. And in Matthew 16 was one of these moments where he started talking about specifics, that he was going to go to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he would be arrested, he was going to suffer, and he was going to die. And those were the words he was using, very specific. And you can just imagine this group of guys who had done so much life with Jesus, they were the closest of friends, and how personally they were connected to Jesus. And Jesus started talking about his arrest and him suffering and him, him going to die. And Peter, one of the guys in his inner three, goes to Jesus. And the Bible says that Peter rebukes Jesus and says to, says to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, I know you say that you're going to be arrested. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Hey, Jesus, I know that you say that you're going to suffer. They're going to beat you. I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus, I know you're saying that you're going to die. Jesus, not on my watch. I'm not going to let it happen. I mean, can you imagine the intensity of that conversation? Jesus looks at Peter, and this is what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me. That's a boundary, right? I mean, just the intensity of that moment, Peter's coming as a friend to Jesus saying, no, I'm not going to allow it to happen. No, not on my watch, no. And Jesus goes, Peter, boundary. Yes, you're part of the inner three, but boundary, get behind me. You see, what Jesus is trying to say to Peter is, Peter, I have a plan. God the Father has laid out this plan, and I must accomplish this plan. And Peter, right now, you're being an obstacle. Peter, right now, you're trying to stop me from accomplishing the plan God has laid out for me. Peter, I know through the lenses that you're looking through, you think you're right. You think you're justified. You think you're protecting me. But you know what Jesus was saying to Peter? Peter, just because you're perceiving the situation through your lenses doesn't mean it's right. And then Jesus takes it one more step. He says, get behind me, and then he says, Satan. Now, I wouldn't advise you to use that word in a conversation. <laughs> Jesus can get away with it. I mean, but could you imagine when Jesus said that to Peter, it would just shove Peter back on his heels. Oh, I, Jesus, I'm Peter. I'm part of your inner, inner circle. I'm Peter. I'll do anything. Satan? You know what Jesus was saying to him? Hey, Peter, there's a spiritual boundary. And if you're going to walk with me, then don't be an obstacle. But if you're going to become an obstacle, if you're going to become an obstacle, you're working for Satan, not for me. I mean, that's bold. That's sharp. But it's truth. 
You see, for Peter, his lenses was about a friend trying to protect his friend. Peter's lenses was about uh, uh, not wanting to see his friend die, not wanting to see his friend suffer. So on one side, that's, that's a great motive. But guess what? It was a very selfish human motive. And Jesus was saying, hey, God's plan is at work, Peter. God's plan, not your plan. And you either walk beside me on God's plan, or you're going to be an adversary to me. And then Jesus goes on. He says, you're a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, the boundaries are very important in our relational life. And every once in a while, just setting very clear, concise boundaries isn't enough. And what I want to share with you, I want you to to treat with extreme caution. Because you see, in the rarest of situations, just setting boundaries isn't going to be good enough. You're going to have to cut off the relationship. I'm not talking about family. Family's in a whole different category. I'm, I'm not talking about marriage. That's a covenant relationship. I'm also not talking about the most extreme of situations. Anything to do with abuse. Okay? That you cut off and you run from in all situations. Okay? But there's times in a toxic relationship where you've set the boundaries and they keep crossing them and breaking them and crossing them and breaking them. And sometimes you just have to cut off those boundaries, cut off that relationship. Paul uh, was just catalytic in the early uh, goings of the church. And he went on multiple, what was called missionary journeys, where he'd go to all these different cities, and he would help plant churches, he'd help bring leadership together to help grow churches, he'd be an encouraging voice to these new churches and the new leaders in these churches. He also was helping just biblically teach them and guide them. And uh, there's this moment in the Bible where he was getting ready to go back on another missionary journey. And uh, this is what we read. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas was a friend of Paul's. They had gone on a previous missionary journey journey together. And so Paul's just saying, hey, let's go back. It's time to go back. Let's set back out and let's travel from town to town and go revisit and help these churches and help these people. It says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. You see, the previous trip they went on, it was Paul and Barnabas and the, uh, another guy named John or John Mark. And somewhere along the way, John Mark just decided to bail. For what reason, we don't know. But he just left them, said, I'm out of here. See ya, I'm gone. And so Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go. And Barnabas says, hey, I want to bring John Mark, who also happened to be Barnabas' cousin. He said, hey, let's bring him again. 
Paul's like, why? He left us. He abandoned us. And whatever the reasons and the circumstances surrounding that moment, it had to be really intense. You see, and it goes on. It says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Paul just kind of drew this boundary and said, I'm going, and Barnabas, you can come with me, but John Mark can't. Not now. He severed that relationship. And there might be a moment where you have to do that with a relationship. Why? Because they're so toxic. Now what's interesting with Paul and John Mark, a while later, you can find this in 2 Timothy, Paul says, hey, will you please send John Mark to me because he'll be useful in ministry. Something happened where the relationship was able to come back together. Where the relationship was healed, the relationship became less toxic. Something happened. And you saw Paul reaching back out to John Mark saying, no, no, no. Now he's useful for ministry. He wasn't, but now he is. And my encouragement for you, if you have someone that you have to cut off, keep forgiving them. Because when you keep forgiving them, that means your heart's going to be open for the day if the toxic label goes back to a warning label. Then you welcome them back in. Two quick thoughts before we get out of here today. One is this. You personally, this is about you. Is there something in your life where you just sense, you know, maybe someone has told you that you have a warning label that's going to be a toxic label? Do you have an area in your life and you just know it? My encouragement for you is don't let it become toxic in your life. Reach out, ask for help. Find a great friend who will walk with you. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's something here at the church we can partner with you on. But if you, you just, and you know right now, if you have an area in your life going from a warning label to a toxic label, work on that. And the second thing, set boundaries. Set boundaries, clear concise boundaries in your relationships and it's okay they're there for protection they're there for accountability and responsibility and within those boundaries there's freedom it's healthy maybe today you need to leave and start setting some boundaries around some toxic relationships around you and within that within that there's great freedom let me pray Lord, I just thank you for our time we, ha we have together today. And Lord, I know that relationships are extremely complicated, especially when we're having to navigate through just a toxic person in our life. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, I pray uh, 
that we will set up those boundaries in our lives. It's healthy. Lord, I also pray for anyone who just knows that they have a warning label moving towards a toxic label, that they will they'll take an active stance and step to bring someone in to help them walk that journey so that they can stay on the healthy side and not become toxic. We all need other people to help us in our journey of life. So Lord, I pray for that. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing day.